So a digital nomad is a person that is location independent. And that means that is able to earn a living anywhere on earth. You're about to enter the Akyong Podcast. Akyong Podcast. India's first and very own architecture podcast, where you'll hear the insights, experiences, and journeys from India's leading architects. No matter what your skill level is, together, we'll build on our knowledge and share architecture's greatest stories ever told. Now, here's your host, Manish Paul Simon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Akyan podcast. It's been a while since our last episode. So, apologies for keeping you all waiting for so long. You know, I try my best to release an episode every week, but then something comes up and then you just postpone it to the next week, next week, and then it becomes a month, then it becomes two months. So, I've sort of prioritized things in life now and hopefully from here on out i'm going to release an episode every week all right with that said i'm really excited to release this episode today because i have an awesome guest all the way from israel and she does something really awesome which is you know travel the world and still make money and she is an architect too she calls herself a digital nomad architect This is Shelly Egam from Israel. I'm not going to give further introduction. Let's just get right to the episode and you'll find out what exactly a digital nomad is and how cool it is to be one. Shelly shares how she got into architecture and then we slowly transition into living the digital nomad lifestyle. Uh, yes, as early as 12, I remember I was very interested in interior design and then I realized why do just focus on the interior when you can design the whole building and uh, really read a lot about it and seeked out other architects to kind of get the feel into the field. And I did go into university to study architecture in Technion in Israel. Oh, nice. So could you give us your experience studying architecture in Israel? Well, unfortunately, in Israel, this is a very difficult profession because we work as hard as everyone else does around the world, but we get paid very, very little. This is the same in India as well. You know, we get paid peanuts. Well, I can imagine. Yes. Um, so after five years to get a degree, and then we have three years to intern in uh, different fields of architecture before we get the full certification. Uh, so in before you get the full certification, you, you are still an architect and you can still plan, but only small and simple buildings and not like uh, sky risers. And so you just, can't really sign on official documents for those three years? You can, but just for the simple building. So for a private residential like a villa, you can right, sign right. for it. Um, small additions, things like that. Uh, but then if you want to design anything and build a hundred stories, then you need to finish the three years of internship and then uh, take a, a very difficult test. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and only then are you certified to sign on anything. And if you want to uh, study architecture in Israel, do you have a test or uh, how do you get into architecture school in Israel? Uh, yes, so you have, uh, normally it's about 50% uh, uh, a practical test that you do, uh, which you kind of go and get this kind of assignment to plan, I don't know, a kindergarten with a yard, and then you have like two or three hours to do that. 
um, that's 50% of the, the score. And then the other 50% is how well you did in your uh, high school diploma and your, it's similar to the American SATs. It's kind of like a psychometric exam that you do. So that's 50% and 50% is the, the practical test. But this is after you complete your military education, right? You guys have compulsory military education and all that. Uh, so we have, after high school, we have a compulsory army service for men and for women. For men, it's That's three awesome. years. For women, it's two years. Uh, it's awesome and it's terrible. <laughs> okay. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, it's a very militant uh, kind of society, um, very survival-oriented, and it's very complicated politically. So it doesn't matter what you believe, you have to go and serve in the army, which uh, can be a bit conflicting. Um, but for me, I actually did a really interesting army service and I switched between different roles. Um, and I started off as a tour guide for school children. This was my army job when I started out. Um, so, yeah, it, it kept me away from any political issues. I do really love the scenery and the nature in Israel, and I got to spend all my time in nature. And you guys have uh, something called a thesis uh, during your architecture school, maybe in your final year or the fourth yes. year? Yes. So, uh, alongside our final project, we should develop and submit a thesis for the, um, the final project. Uh, I did one about urban decay uh, since my project was dealing with the reuse of an old abandoned flour mill. Right, right. So this was in uh, Israel itself, right? Yes, yes, it was in Israel uh, near my hometown. Okay. And could you also tell us about your experience working those three years? You Did you work in Israel itself or did you get to go to other countries as well? Uh, you could do your internship out of state, but I did work in Israel after finishing my degree. Uh, so I started off in a small firm that mainly did uh, high prestigious high-end kind of villas, uh, so small residentials, the kind of houses that show up in magazines, you know. Um, and luckily for me, what I the mo the most I got out of this uh, first job was that they were one of the first firms in Israel to work with Revit. Oh, awesome! Um, okay. So they actually sent me uh, to learn this program before I started my internship with them. And that was the, the biggest contribution I got there because I didn't stay there very long. I actually had not a great experience where the boss had me do his um, son's presentations for school for okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah for sixth grade. And yeah, I felt like I wasn't really learning that much there. So um, after that, I, I, I switched to a different firm and I stayed there for about uh, two years longer. And then... Um, we did mostly high-dense residentials. Right. Um, so you sort of implemented Revit in the new firm which you joined? or? Yes. Uh, so I taught it there to the rest of the employees. And right, right. I was working with Revit in the firm. They were not working with this program before I signed on. But uh, I'm sure this kind of uh, transition is happening uh, all around the world currently. Yeah. Where um, the governmental projects are asking you to submit your uh, 
design and to work with BIM software. So uh, it's mandatory and any firm that kind of wants these projects, the big government projects, has to be able to say we work with BIM. And uh, in Israel, basically, I would say about 90%, if you say BIM, it's Revit. Um, so I did uh, get into the field v- uh, pretty early on. Let's say for Israel, it was early on. It was uh, uh, around 2013. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to learn this program early, which helped me really get uh, better jobs, better pay, and uh, eventually helped me become a digital nomad uh, because right. I am working with this lovely program, which I really, really like. Right. All right. So let's get to the digital nomad side of things. A lot of us still don't know what the term digital nomad means, especially a lot of architects because, you know, they don't, they get stuck in one place. So could you explain to us what exactly is a digital nomad? So a digital nomad is a person that is location independent. And that means that is able to earn a living anywhere on earth. While you are working on your computer, it doesn't really matter if you are in Tel Aviv or in Bangladesh, right? So you can work from anywhere. And then in your free time, instead of just going home, the same home every day, you can travel and do whatever you like, basically. Some digital nomads do still work in their home countries, but they work from home or from the beach, right? Um, But a lot of digital nomads do use this opportunity to travel, stay in good weather, you know, all year long. How did you get into the digital nomad scene and how long have you been doing this? So um, I was working in the architecture firm and I was really, really unhappy. Uh, I felt like I was really taken advantage of. I was working really hard. I had really, really hard bosses. um, And uh, I felt I wasn't earning enough to suffer through this. You know, at least if you have the the compensation for it, you can suffer through it. So, but luckily I wasn't earning enough, so I wasn't willing to take it anymore and I quit. So you used to work from morning nine to night, whatever time, right? Yes. So very, very often I would start very early in the morning and finish very late if there were there was a competition or some big project due. Uh, Yes, we would work really long hours and we didn't get uh, overtime or anything like that, which is actually illegal, but that's the way it was. Um, So I felt like I was working all the time. I had no free time. I was also single at the time um, and I really, really wanted to meet someone and I had no time and no money. And just no energy to do anything else with my time to, you know, develop any of my hobbies. So I quit my job without really knowing what the next step was. And I figured I would open my own firm. And I knew it would be hard to find clients and to start it off. But I didn't care. I was really at a breaking point. And in order to really just make sure I will can pay my rent, I started teaching Revit uh, at this kind of design college in Tel Aviv, just to make sure I have some income while I'm trying to open my own firm. Right. So 
I was sitting at home. I was reading a lot, trying to figure out what I want to do next, how I'm going to make my life better. Uh, and I realized what I really, really wanted. And this is the first time in a while that I've actually asked myself what I really want in life. Uh, and I realized I, I really want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to keep working as an architect. I wish I can do this while traveling, but my number one goal was to travel. And honestly, with this whole really long time, uh, like minimum of eight years during architecture school and internship, but even before trying to get into architecture school, this was about a decade of my life, uh, which I followed this one path. But once you're on the path and the more you invest in this path, the harder it is to stop and ask yourself, is this still what I want and what I want to continue doing in my life? Um, so this was really a big epiphany for me that, okay, I love architecture. I do want to be involved in architecture, but the, the profession itself is probably not what I want and can't give me what I want in life. So then I uh, kind of did some research and I said, okay, well, you cannot possibly travel all the time. It's You have to work, you have to stay somewhere and sit in an office. And I started reading about it. And actually at that time, I uh, started reading the book, Four Hour Work Week yeah, by Tim, uh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it's a bit out of date now, uh, at least the second part of it, the technical tips and yeah, tricks yeah. on how to do this. But the first part of the book, which is more the philosophy behind this, uh, really talked to me and really opened my eyes and changed my way of thinking about money and about spare time and about what work is. Um, and, and through my research, I kind of found this global community of digital nomads. And I found that most of the digital nomads do come from high tech and are doing uh things that are already online, right? Programming exactly. or even yeah. uh, graphics and 3D visualizations maybe, but not actual architecture. Yeah. In my search to find a digital nomad architect, I was lost and then finally I found you. So hey, not, <laughs> not many architects do this, right? Yes, I have met some architects that travel, but in a bit of a different way. So they would travel to Brazil, let's say, and then they would stay in Brazil for a year right, and look right. for projects there. But that's, again, it's not really location independent because you have to stay put. Yeah. Um, so in this time, I did manage to find some clients and start some projects little by little. Um, and I did find that the smaller projects, for example, if someone wants to uh, get the city to sign off on an addition to, the, to his house, uh, this is something that you can totally do online and remotely because it, they just want to add a room. They don't need the planning. They just need you to to make it into a format that you can send to the city and you don't have to go there physically because everything is online now. Uh, so those are the, the kind of projects that I still do sometimes, even though they're not super creative. Uh, they do help me make some money. But at this point of time, you are still in Tel Aviv, right? 
Uh, I was living in a small village about half an hour north of Tel Aviv because okay. at the same time, I was also really trying to cut back on my expenses. So if you want to work less, you need to spend less. And Tel Aviv is one of the most expensive cities in the world. Uh, so, yeah, getting out of Tel Aviv was one of the first steps towards becoming financially independent. And also the importance of having good internet, right? Yes. Uh, so, this is uh, talking about the next stage in where to go once you get to the point that you are location independent. Yeah. Um, so, um, I still do some architecture and I do some remote design work uh, but my main income now was uh, actually opening my business Revit Pros where I do make some passive income because I have video courses and digital products uh, but I still do tutoring one-on-one -on -one because I really like it um, and it keeps me in touch with my clients and so together I actually do many many different things I also give lectures about digital nomadism uh, as an architect and how to create an online business even though you come from an analog kind of field yeah. um, and then yeah once I reach this point where I feel okay I have my first course out and I can try and find a way to uh, do it remotely I had to test it and uh, by then I met, had met my partner Oren and we had uh, an opportunity to go into an entrepreneurial program in Edinburgh in Scotland oh nice okay yeah, so it was a six-month program, and uh, we had flown there in August, got to travel a little bit there and in the Highlands, and we learned a lot from this program. We did have a lot of difficulties. Uh, I had thought that once I had my first online course, I can just start making money, but turns out you need to market it, and uh, yeah. I had known nothing about marketing. So this is where you were introduced to digital marketing and all that. Yes, um, and, and you know, just organic marketing and managing communities online and many other areas that I've never dealt with before. Um, and I, I did have to kind of swallow my pride and go and work as a salesperson in the mall to make rent um, while my partner was trying to work on his business and I tried to work on mine. But it was a great opportunity to learn and really realize what it's, what it's going to take. And after about five months there, we went back to Israel and we... We, I cannot say we were already there and successful, but we said we cannot go back after experiencing this kind of freedom. Uh, so we sold everything we owned and we moved out of the house we were living in and uh, yeah, decided we're just going to go for it. And a lot of it was that Israel is really, really expensive to live in and anywhere else it would be much easier because you have a lot of less stress to make so much money to, to live just for the everyday. Um, oh, excuse me one second. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> we are, uh, so we're staying in an Airbnb apartment now. Oh, awesome. Okay. And so you, you use mostly Airbnbs uh, when you travel or? 
No, uh, so it really depends uh, where. Here in Turkey, we only had one month total. So we spent the last two weeks uh, camping, traveling around Turkey. Uh, so really just sleeping in a tent oh, for nice. two weeks. And just yesterday, we arrived here uh, yesterday evening in the Airbnb. And we have only 10 days here. And then we're moving to Canary Islands for the winter time. So oh, wow. we like to stay warm. Yeah. So how do you go home, is it? Uh, so we go to visit, I would say, roughly once a year. This year we decided not to go after uh, our last visit was really expensive, really stressful. Um, yeah, so... Um, we prefer to travel and our friends and family come visit us where where we are, which I think everyone enjoys. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so that's a better opportunity. But uh, in the for your question, do we use Airbnb? So normally we try and rent uh, by month uh, because it's much cheaper and you do get a, a more of a homey feeling because when you move very often, you don't like to feel like you're living in a hotel. So uh, we do travel with little bits and pieces and pictures that we put up and, you know, try and make the place feel like home. And we don't move very fast. We try and spend a few months in each place really to get the feel of it and to really get to know the culture. But also, again, to cut down on the costs because our highest cost are the flights. Uh, but we do try and move with the seasons and try and stay warm. So now we spent the last summer in the mountains in, in Bulgaria, in a little ski town called Bansko. Oh, nice. And once it started getting colder, we started moving south. So we're doing uh, one month in Turkey. And then we're going into the Canary Islands. Uh, we do have a lot of limitations because we have an Israeli passport. So uh, the Middle East and a lot of the Arab Emirates and uh, a lot of Muslim, Muslim countries like Indonesia even, we cannot go. Uh, but also for Europe, it's a problem because we cannot stay longer than 90 days consecutively in the Schengen area, oh, okay. which is uh, most of Western Europe. Um, so a lot of factors come into play with deciding where to go. But also, like you mentioned before, the internet speed. Um, and we really learned that, well, we got used to really high speeds in Israel has very good internet, very cheap internet. And we got used to minimum of 50 mega uh, or 100 mega. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we uh, traveled to the Philippines and we learned that even five mega per second is, is good. You know, uh, we can we can work with five. Uh, but yeah, so we had to leave Philippines in the end because the Internet was so terrible and so expensive. But Turkey seems to be pretty good, right? No lag so far. Uh. Yeah, Turkey is, is really good. It's really, really developed. I was actually a bit surprised. I didn't know much about Turkey before coming here. And the... You know, all the, the public transport and the internet, uh, the phone coverage, even when we were in the mountains or in deep in the forest, 
we always had reception and good oh, wow. internet. It nice. was really surprising. Yeah. Uh, from a more philosophical standpoint, do you feel like this is the future of work? Uh, maybe even for architects too, like location independent and uh, being a digital nomad. Definitely, 100%. This is the way it's going to be for everyone in the future. A lot of big companies already allow their employees to work remotely. They find that their costs go down, the employees are more efficient, happier. Uh, Even, you know, for a mother to stay home with her children or a father to stay home with a sick baby instead of coming into the office... Um, it really, really helps the employees, in, even in firms, to feel like they are trusted, you know, and they are managing their own time better. So I think financially it's good for everyone. And once you get this freedom, then, yeah, you can decide where to work from. And it only makes sense for people to earn money in higher paying jobs and then go live in less expensive yeah. places. Uh, but do you feel as an architect, we could pull that off as well? Maybe since Revit is going into something called uh, synchronization, where you can just pretty much sit in one place and work on the same project, right? Well, to be honest... I look at it in two ways. The first one is that my main problem right now in working as an architect is the client. The client wants you to physically be there to hold their hands and, you know, to speak with them face to face. Video calls is not enough. But this is something that I feel like will will change in the future and people will adapt and will be more accepting of working remotely. This is the one side of it. On the other hand, there is something to be said for going physically into where the building is going to be, looking at the area, feeling it, actually standing there, that changes the way you think about the design. Something that is lacking when, doesn't matter how many videos and, you know, conferences we do it it's not the same thing as actually being there mm-hmm. um but i think this is a small price to pay and the more technology evolves the better it is and the easier it would be to communicate and to see and feel the place. So really, I think this is where the future is going. And I, I must say, I do still have clients that are open to this experience that actually take me on a video call to the you know, flooring shop and we choose the pattern together. And oh, nice. okay. I work, yeah, and, and even during the build, I... I call the contractor by video call and do the inspection by video call. So this is things that I still do and still manage. But again, my main problem is to find clients that are willing to go with it. Um, And I did have some opportunities while traveling to do some local projects. Yeah, I was going to ask you this question, whether you got to do projects locally in other countries as architect. 
so it was m- mostly interior design and okay. less architecture. Uh, but for example, uh, I was living in the summer for about four months in Budapest in Hungary. And while we were looking for an apartment, we found one apartment that uh, the landlord had just bought and it was completely empty. And I had offered him that we would live there and I would uh, design and furnish it. And actually, my partner and I did the work ourselves. So the apartment was painted and we got the gas and electricity and everything put in. But uh, we did go and buy all the furniture and set it up ourselves. You can actually see this apartment on my website. So this apartment is an Airbnb Airbnb apartment now uh, that's being let out. And it's uh, very colorful and really stands out as something that was designed by an architect and not, you know, your standard Airbnb apartment, uh, which I really like. And we got to live there inside our design. So it was really fun. Um, and also in a way, the cultures uh, started exchange, right? As an architect from Israel and going and practicing in Hungary. That's pretty cool, right? Yes, it's lovely. And I've actually been thinking about this a lot since we've got here to Turkey, because the design style obviously is very different uh, from Western Europe uh, than here in Istanbul, for example. And uh, of course, the Muslim country, it's culture that affects it and all these little details. And I would really, really love to put some of these things into my next project. I, I'm already seeing so many examples and I, I know it's going to affect my style uh, because every every place I see and all these travels, of course, they stay with me in a way and they do kind of mesh together into the design process that will come out later. All right. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into the space of, you know, traveling and being location independent and being a digital nomad if he's from the design field? So, uh, firstly, I would say my biggest hurdle was to kind of let go of being an architect. I, like I said, I still do architecture, but I felt like really insisting on being only an architect kind of made me stay in one place. So I feel like you really need to be more flexible and open up the fields in which you can earn money from. And definitely try and cut down on your spending to save some money to be um, so it can be easier for you to move around because we do kind of collect a lot of things um, and it makes it harder to pick up and leave. Um, And I feel like Honestly, when you learn architecture, you learn such a big, diverse field of subjects. So you know a little bit of graphic design and a little bit of interior design and a little bit of history and a little bit of presentation. So you gather all these skills because it's such a big, you know, big field that you can find your own little niche to work in and you just need to be a bit more flexible and open-minded 
um, and really do the research because there are so many people doing so many amazing diverse things that I, I really truly believe that if it's your goal anybody can achieve this awesome and also are you trying other avenues in being digital nomad like maybe drop shipping or uh, content writing or the various other things people do right Yes. Um, so I don't do drop shipping. I don't really believe in it. Uh, I, I really like to create new things. Um, I like to teach. Uh, I don't really like to buy something and then sell it. Sell it you know, I, I find this is not contributing something into the world. Yeah. But I know a lot of people that have used this as a stepping stone and they've created their business to create their own income and create actually a passive income from this so they can free up their time and they're doing other things with their time. That's that's great also. Uh, actually, my partner does online marketing and advertisement. Oh, awesome. So uh, he has that kind of avenue and this is much more common for digital nomads to do. Uh, and as a, for content writing, I do create a lot of content um, as part of my uh, firm for Revit's teaching which is Revit Pros I do tips and I have a blog and I run a, a community on Facebook which uh, helps people with their Revit problems um, so I do content in that way and I also have a digital nomadism blog about my travels and especially about our travels with our little dog uh, which is also a, a challenge of its own but uh -huh. very That's very awesome. rewarding Yes, uh, she's already 11 years old and oh, wow. I've had her since she is one year old and we cannot part. So yeah, she's with us right now in the Airbnb um, making a mess. Huh. But yeah, we really... Is it difficult to travel to a different country with a dog? Um, well, actually, you know, we were meant, we, we planned on coming to India, to the south of India for the winter time okay. uh, to start at Goa and then work our way up north as the, the winter passes. And it turns out that you cannot import a pet into India if you are not a resident or uh, have a citizenship. Oh, right. Okay. So uh, the whole of India and Sri Lanka are off the map for us while we have uh, our little blonda. Okay, okay. Uh, so this is one example of the way it can be difficult because we cannot just go anywhere we like. Some countries have very strict rules about importing pets. Um, other than that, uh, we did travel with her to Philippines, Vietnam, Germany, Bulgaria, now Turkey. So um, we have gained a lot of experience with that. And uh, we are very fortunate that she is very small, so we can actually take her in the cabin with us. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, so that's very... Which breed is it? Is it a pug? Uh, no, no. It's uh, She's a terrier mix. She's not a pure breed. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so 
so yeah, on my blog, on my uh, digital nomad blog, I write about the logistics of traveling with a dog and all the paperwork that you need to do. And it seems really overwhelming and complicated at first, but once you get the hang of it, it's just to get a health certificate from each country before you leave to the next country. And we have all of the, the tests already made. So it's pretty easy. And we've never had a problem, even when we did uh, miss uh, a date and didn't have the right paperwork. We find that people were just really helpful and they just let us take her. Even one time there was uh, one flight that we had to send her in cargo because they did not allow pets on board. And then at the last minute when the doors of the plane were already closed, uh, the pilot made an announcement for us to come and they brought her oh, on wow, that's the an plane. awesome story <laughs> it, it, it was lovely really people are really lovely and she's really um, a quiet dog and she doesn't do uh, many she doesn't make any fuss and so yeah cool, cool. All right, it's easy so we'll get to the quick fire round where I ask you a series of brief questions and uh, you could give us brief answers as well oh okay okay how many countries have you visited so far 23. Oh, wow. Okay. Who's your favorite architect? Uh, Zaha Hadid. Yeah, I love her too. Uh, which one book has inspired you the most? Uh, I would go back to 4-Hour Workweek. The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, what future plans do you have? I want to travel... Africa. This is my main plan for now. All right. Thanks, Shelly. I think that was a great conversation. I I personally learned a ton and uh, I'm also trying to become uh, sort of a digital nomad step by step. I think it takes time for a lot of us, especially if you're an architect. So thanks, Shelly, once again. Hope to have you in our podcast in the future. And uh, do you have any last words or anything that you would like to share? Um, I would just like to say that if it is your dream to combine traveling and still do architecture, I really believe it's possible. And you don't have to be a digital nomad full time. A lot of people do it for a few months out of the year. And I believe you can do it if you really want. Great. Awesome. So we'll share all the links uh, and uh, the tidbits and the great information that Shelly shared today on our website, which is akkian.com. All right, Shelly, and also, uh, could you uh, let our listeners know on how we could follow you and, you know, on your journey as a digital nomad? Sure. So if you want to really see the day-by-day travels, you're welcome to follow me on Instagram. I'm uh, at Digital Nomad Arch, like architect. Okay. Yes. So that's my day-to-day. I also have a website where I put up my blog and you can see examples of my work at www.agamdna.com. Agam is like my last name, A-G-A-M, and DNA is Digital Nomad Architect. 
You've been listening to the Ak Young Podcast. We're still building the community. Please share this knowledge with someone you know who could benefit. Just send them to akyoung.com where you'll find our free newsletter and for more podcast episodes. Search for the show on any major podcasting platform. Don't forget to subscribe where you're listening right now. And if you liked it, leave a rating or review. Hey guys, I hope you liked this episode and learned a ton from it. If you like the Akyan podcast and would like to support the show, please head to akyan.com slash sketchup. We made a small course for y'all so that you can learn and get better at sketchup and V-Ray rendering. Akyan is all about providing value and this is our way of giving back to you guys. Instead of, you know, just doing donations, you could probably buy our course and learn something and also support the show. So thanks guys for tuning in. We'll be having our next episode released soon on Monday. I wish you guys a happy weekday. And if you're listening on a weekend, happy weekend. Thanks guys. This is your host Manish Paul Simon signing off. Ciao.